Artificial intelligence will completely transform our world. But what is AI? Why will it affect you? And how can you and your business survive and thrive through the AI revolution? Welcome to AI and You. Here is your host, author, speaker, and futurist, Peter Scott. Hello, and welcome to episode 111. Today's guest is Jansu Janja, calling in from Turkey, which means if you're looking her up that you replace the J sounds in her name with the letter C. She is a philosopher and AI ethics consultant and founder of the AI Ethics Lab, prior to which she was on the full-time faculty at the University of Hong Kong and an ethics researcher at the Harvard Law School, Harvard School of Public Health, Harvard Medical School, National University of Singapore, Osaka University, and the World Health Organization. She has given over 100 talks on AI ethics, including keynotes at Harvard Business School, the U.S. Department of Justice, and her TEDx talk, How to Solve AI's Ethical Problems. She was listed under the 30 Influential Women Advancing AI in Boston and the 100 Brilliant Women in AI Ethics. So if you've heard just about any of our shows, it's obvious why I'm delighted to have her here. Why is ethics such a hot topic when it comes to AI? Ethics was not invented recently. Aren't its issues the same as they've always been? In one sense, yes. But AI is such a multiplying force that it amplifies the ethical issues of whatever it touches. Putting AI in the hands of a developer or company uneducated in its use is like giving a toddler a chainsaw. They may end up cutting down a tree with it but they're more likely to take their leg off or someone else's. And everyone we have on the show talking about AI and ethics goes in a completely new and fascinating direction. Why is that? I think it's because AI is amplifying human cognition at increasingly higher levels, that it touches everything we do in every way that we do it. Let's get into the interview with Jansu Janja. Jansu, welcome to AI and You. Thank you, Peter. Nice to be here. Nice to meet you. Thank you. And so I'd like to know, as I ask most people, how did you get into this field? What was the trigger that said, oh, I want to work in field of ethics in AI? I'm a philosopher by training, and I have worked in population-level bioethics, medical ethics for many years. So when I was teaching at the University of Hong Kong Medical School, we were looking at a lot of these new medical technologies that are coming to the hospital, coming to the university, and the conversation on ethics is still focused on only, primarily and only focused on the physician's perspective, the patient's perspective, the healthcare system's perspective, the hospital authority, but it never actually goes into like what goes on in the technology or what happens when we are developing the technology. So I started getting interested in the question of how do these systems make decisions and what are the value judgments that happen as the systems make these decisions. And this is 2016. It's not ancient times, but it's still a while ago. And 2016, really no one that I know of was talking about this, thinking about this. So it was very like, okay, how do I go about this? So I decided that I'll just take a little stop, break, learn just just learn about AI itself, learn about the technology, forget about the ethics for a little while, just learn how the system works. 
And then get back to the question of, okay, then what are the ethical questions that I can see that happens as we are using these technologies? So I started off with the focus on the health technologies, but once you deal with the technology and AI, you'll immediately get sucked into all these other questions because there are so many interesting questions. And is your background at that point, you already in philosophy, did you have a PhD at that point? Oh yeah, at that time I had finished my PhD, I had finished my postdoc, and I was holding a faculty position at the University of Hong Kong. It's perhaps interesting, when I think about how many philosophers have had on the show, that maybe a lot of people would think that there shouldn't be that much intersection between computer technology and philosophy, but it is numerically huge. Can you perhaps speak to why there seems to be this big attraction between AI and philosophers right now? I mean, I think it depends on how you look at the historical progress on this. In a way, philosophers are always interested in weird questions, right? Like, how do you understand whether a machine is thinking or are they sentient beings? Do they have a moral status? How should we treat a machine? These questions have been around like forever, nothing new over there. And questions about like how we use machines or how we interact with machines were there as well, but not specifically. They were not very pegged to the AI question. They were not so closely linked to AI. It was more like thought experiments and some actual technology that we were looking at. When I say we, like the philosophers <laughs> forever. And I think a good example of this is how the applied ethics, especially, and AI merged so quickly together is when you think about the question of self-driving cars and how that picked up almost immediately the AI ethics questions started arising the self-driving car question came up, right? Like there was, MIT had the moral machines survey going on and people were talking about, well, how should the self-driving car make a decision and so on? Yes, but the example was a thought example. The trolley problem was... Philippa Foote in 1967. Philippa Foote initially thinking about the distinction between killing and letting die and in the context of bioethics, actually. And then it was sort of dissected in many different ways by, you know, Thompson, then Francis Kahn. But the questions, the analysis was there, right? So just AI, moving it to the self-driving cars was almost like, well, okay, now here's a more, an example that seems more realistic to you now, rather than a trolley that just got went out of control. Hmm. So that I think is a good example to show like, well, we had these questions. We were talking about these questions. And they were very closely linked. It was just that the link was not there in real life. So when the technology caught up in a way <laughs> with the philosophy, it was not that hard. And also, I say this all the time, many of the AI questions, AI ethics questions, are not novel to AI. They are ethics questions like resource allocation or decision making, killing and letting die, or you know, how do you judge human life and human value? This is the question that we've been grappling with all the time in applied ethics. So then you add some extra interesting questions about, you know, mm. <laughs> And it seems to be uh, very hot now in artificial intelligence. And as you say, it's caught up. The technology is caught up. And maybe is that because the technology now looks like it's encroaching on the space of moral agency and that we need to ask the questions that philosophers would pose of moral agents? There is that question, but I think most of our 
AI ethics questions are not really on that. So I agree with you. There is like a, as the technology progresses, the question of moral agency is becoming more and more relevant because at some point we are going to have a hard time understanding, okay, what really, what is the distinguishing factor in terms of the morally relevant distinguishing factor between beings that have moral status and this thing that we created. Right. So this is a relevant question. You cannot address it after the fact. You have to sort of think about it beforehand. So there is that track, which is a very interesting, philosophically very interesting question. And practically, it will be a very relevant question if we get there. Mm. But a lot of the times, the questions are actually much more mundane. I think what makes AI so full of ethical questions is that, one, we make a lot of decisions as we create AI systems. But in a way, it seems like we never really paid so much attention about those value judgments. But now these AI systems affect so many more people in through so many different aspects of their lives as they go and get their education, as they apply for loans, as they engage with the criminal justice system, as they go to the doctor. Now they are so embedded into our lives that their impact mm. makes them something that we have to think about. So in a way, a lot of the AI questions are interesting because of their impact rather than their novelty. But Hmm. I getting back to your point, yes, there's definitely that super interesting, really right. novel question going on as right. well. Right. Yeah. But as you say, the bulk of the questions about ethics and AI at the moment are surrounding the fact that it's a technology that accelerates and amplifies the issues that we already had, but it just puts them on a scale that now we can't avoid them. Is that a fair way of framing it? These questions of bias and transparency, it just cranks that needle all the way up? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's a good way of describing it. And also when you think about other areas where we have a, ethically, where we have a focus on, it's places like medical ethics where you know who is in medicine. There is like, you know, there is a set of physicians and there are a set of hospitals, whereas AI systems are developed in ways that are not as controlled as medicine is developed or mm. medicine practice. So AI systems are both develop and practice in a much more wide scale way and also in many different mm. forms and coming from different sources. It can be a kid who is coding and then making it a startup and then selling the startup. It can be a big company. It just is, it has many different ways of entering into our lives. I think that's mm. the, put it, yeah. I think that's a really interesting juxtaposition to make there between medicine and AI because one field is characterized by the ethic of first do no harm, and the other is characterized by the ethic of move fast and break things. <laughs> yeah, I guess, uh, I guess we shouldn't say that the ethic of move fast and break things, there's a bit of a problem with that one, as ethically speaking, as you know. <laughs> and that brings me to the AI Ethics Lab, which you started. Can you tell me why and what it does? Yeah, so going back to that story when I was in 2016, when I was in Hong Kong working on this question, I wanted to really focus on this. I wanted to take a break from medical ethics, from bioethics, and focus on the question of AI ethics. And prior to Hong Kong, I was doing my postdoctoral research at Harvard Law School. So I figured, you know, okay, I'll just go back to Cambridge. I'm sure there are so many universities working on this question. If not, the companies are working on this. The tech companies must be working on this question. I'll just go and join one of the working groups. I'll just get back to thinking and talking about it. I find the group that thinks and talks about this and I'll join them. So that was my sort of thinking. 
But that was apparently very wishful thinking. That was not the case at all in 2016. But I couldn't find anyone, really. I talked to every name that you can think of in terms of academic institution and company. And yes, they recognized the issues, but they did not see it as here's a problem that has a name. Here's an AI ethics problem that we should start solving in many different ways as we develop these systems and as we employ these systems. That was not really part of the conversation. And moreover, whoever talked about it, the conversation was very focused on either the technology or the legal regulation, the ethics, the what is right and what is wrong. How do we figure out what is the right thing to do? The real question, not compliance, was not there. So I had basically two options. Either I was just going to take, continue with my job and wait for the field. This is actually what I was told. They said, continue with your job, keep doing ethics, but Keep an eye on AI so that when it starts happening, you'll be there to pick up the conversation. Or what I figured was, well, if there is no center, there is no platform where this is the focus, then well, let's start one. So I started AI ethics up really just focusing on the AI ethics questions, doing research on AI ethics questions with the intention to help practitioners solve their actual practical problems. And this is something that I learned from my time in Harvard School of Public Health, where we had a great program in ethics and health. Again, this is like philosophers thinking about these questions and working directly with World Health Organization, directly with the hospitals, solving these questions. So I figured, well, this must be the model, not just, oh, we sit here as philosophers, think about it, and practitioners sit there, do, and sometimes maybe our paths cross. But no, the intention is we will find the problems that you're struggling with, And we are going to try solving them so that we can continue the work of innovation together and better, hopefully still fast. You mentioned something there which leads me to think about a distinction that I want to make in applied ethics, which is, to a large extent, the interest of companies in ethics surrounds what's going to keep me out of jail. So it's about compliance. And I heard you make a distinction that suggests you're focused beyond that, which is what's right, never mind what's going to keep you out of jail. Can you talk about how that shows up for you and the work you do and your clients? Absolutely. I think one thing that we should be always aware of is that truthfully in ethics, we often don't know the answer until we work on it. It's not like, oh, why didn't you do the right thing? There's a bulk of things that if you just mean to do well, you're likely going to do well. There's like a bulk of things that you can just get by like this, but any complex question, actually, we don't know the answer. So it's sort of like doing a rule of thumb math versus actual math. You know, yeah, the rule of thumb will, okay, mostly get you by in your daily life. But if you're actually dealing with complex systems, now you want to do the proper math so that your calculation actually holds. It's like that, you know, like in ethics, we don't know the answer. We want to use our tools that we have from philosophy to work out well, what is the right thing to do? And maybe it's not just one option. Maybe there is like a set of justifiable actions that we can pick from, but there will be a set and the rest will be wrong, but we have to first determine that. And compliance sort of makes it simple, thinking that we know the right thing. You just have to incentivize people to do that. That doesn't cover any of the complex issues. Yes, we still need the compliance. We still need the regulation going beyond, like one step beyond compliance. We need the regulation because... Let's face it, humans are not necessarily ethically motivated. 
let alone big companies. <laughs> so we know that we are not living in an imaginary world. But even in the case where you have really robust regulations, there is always gray areas. And the gray areas are where your practice most often falls. So when you face a jury or a judge or somebody who is accusing you of doing wrong, your argument will often be an ethical argument, not a legal argument, unless it is very clearly described in the law. So mm. the, the ethics remains there prior to the regulation, but also after the regulation because of the gray areas. And sometimes because the regulation is just not ethical, <laughs> there's that case too, but mind that, <laughs> that's not complicated. And regulation is always going to be trailing what's necessary. They just can't move fast enough, particularly when it comes to technology. That's just a given. So, but with ethics, moral foundation, you have the chance of being out ahead of it, of how the situation is evolving. Could you tell me what would a, an encounter, real or hypothetical or idealized, between a client and the AI ethics lab look like as a kind of story? Like, take me through how they come in, what they ask, what you do, what they go away with. So I have two jobs. <laughs> I'm running the AI ethics lab still, so it's been over five years now. But I am also at Northeastern University Institute for Experiential AI. I am the ethics lead there. So I am the institute is basically with the same mentality as the AI ethics lab. We are helping industry or practitioners from the academia solve their AI problems, in my case, the AI ethics problems. So I deal with the responsible AI part of the work and same structure holds for both of these cases. Clients have questions. <laughs> so usually in AI ethics, because the field is so new, they don't come with very clear demand, but it's much more like, um, for example, we have this project and we are about to start it we are worried about the ethical aspects of it. Or this is, a, this is a good scenario. The bad scenario, I mean, slightly worse scenario, is that we finished this project, <laughs> we are about to release it, and now we are worried about the ethical aspects of it. That's like retrospective. It gets difficult because fixing something that's not done right is much harder than doing it right at the first time. So this has been the typical engagement entry point, a specific project that sort of mm -hmm. makes them uncomfortable. Another thing that has recently started, which I'm very happy about after, you know, five years of trying to raise awareness and give talks like all around the world, is that now companies, large companies are coming and saying, we need to put in the whole structure so that we have an ethics component for all of our projects. And this runs seamlessly and adequately alongside. And that's a much more complex engagement, of course. Then we are thinking about, I have a framework, a model that I developed called Puzzle Solving and Ethics Model, which I developed at AI Ethics Lab, and now we are also using it at Northeastern University. And here, basically, there are three main components of the strategy of a company. Do you have the playbook, meaning what is your guiding materials? Do you have use cases? Do you have principles? Do you know how to use those principles? Do you have tools that will make these sort of abstract ideas more available, more easily usable for your developers, designers, you know, non-philosophers, basically? That's your playbook. What is the guiding material you have? What did you develop? The other component is how does this whole thing enter into your innovation process? Because this should not be like a 
review board that sits somewhere far away and just like says yes, no, yes, no. It should be a collaborative and a dynamic process so that we are not creating a bottleneck, but we are also not missing major ethical risks. And the final thing is, of course, training and finding and positioning the right people throughout the whole company to be responsible in engaging with ethics. That doesn't mean that we are turning everyone into ethics experts, which is impossible and not desirable. But what we are trying to do is that there is an efficient way of an ethical question to be considered solved, if not solved, escalated to an expert within the company. So we don't want everything to go to an expert group, but we want to make sure that we train people, we position people such a way that they know what guideline to look at, they know which tool to use. And if it seems like it is a complex question, they know who to call within the company. Mm. So this is the bigger engagements that we are now finally doing, because finally now companies realize that there is a need for a more systematic approach. And I'm curious how this breaks down in the category of the ethics. Could you, for instance, tell me like what sort of proportion of these cases do the ethics hinge on the curation of data that's used for training or the foundation of an AI and making sure that it is unbiased? That's a very interesting question. You know, actually, even though bias is something that we talk about so much, I think I have worked on only a couple of cases where bias was the main problem. Mm. It's very interesting. I didn't actually realize this until you were asked, but the questions are really, really all over the spectrum. You know, sometimes they are about how you allow control for the user in what they are engaging with, or how you don't allow control, or how you make others to be in control of other people using AI system, which is a problem, of course, we should fix. So there are those questions. There are privacy questions that are, again, not addressed in legally, but, but they can run throughout the whole process. It can be, the privacy question can come from how you collected the data all the way to does this tool actually now allow people to access others' private information? Mm. It, it really goes throughout the whole spectrum. Or do you allow privacy controls for the user if you are creating a product? So it can be just a proxy question, you know, like, did you realize that the proxy that you chose actually corresponds to a category that would make this product ethically unfair? So did you read like the simple example? I cannot give you the actual example that we worked on, but the simple example is that everyone knows is like if you use zip codes, you're going to unfortunately have your system clustering according to race, right? Because the in the US, zip code and the race are really pegged together. But there are many different ways that this happens, not just the zip codes. So you have to be very careful with the proxy. So there, it's really all over the spectrum. Bias is not the only thing, neither the privacy, even though we've been, I think the AI ethics has been very vocal on those two questions for the time mm. being. I think, mm. I think we're sort of going through phases. Initially, it was like, I think bias, privacy was a big thing. And then we added the bias. Hopefully, we are going to keep adding these topics so that people know about it and understand the importance. That's the end of the first half of the interview. This is one of the ones we split into two, so we keep these digestible. I thought that was interesting that Jansu came to AI ethics from medical ethics because the moral imperatives of those fields are so radically different, as I said. And it makes me wonder what would be the result of bringing the medical ethics viewpoint, like the Hippocratic Oath, into AI. I've got to mention, by the way, that 
John Sue and I met at an online event hosted by MKAI, which is the Milton Keynes AI community started by Richard Foster Fletcher. And I am beyond impressed with how he's built up that powerhouse platform dedicated to making the AI arena more diverse and inclusive and populated it with all kinds of wonderful people that he's thoroughly empowered to take it to whole new levels. Go to mkai.org and check it out. In today's news ripped from the headlines about AI, China plans to use AI-powered robots to build a dam, yes, a hydroelectric dam, in Tibet. I think China must be the world's leading consumer of concrete. They certainly have demonstrated the ability to build things at ridiculous speed, like at the beginning of the pandemic when they built two 1,000-patient hospitals in a week and put webcams on the site to show them doing it. This dam will be built in two years, and the robots will act as giant 3D printers to build the 180-meter structure layer by layer. The Yangku hydropower plant will be constructed over the Yellow River, generating electricity for 50 million people. It's a bit hard to figure out its output because reporters confuse power and energy. A lot. But the reports say 5 billion kilowatt hours per year, which is an average of 570 megawatts continuous output, and other reports say it will have a capacity of 1,200 megawatts. And that sounds right. The peak generation rate sounds right when it's about twice the average. Next week, I'll conclude the interview with Jansu Janjo when we'll be talking about the ethical issues of search engines and recommender algorithms and getting yet another take on the Blake Lemoyne incident from an ethical viewpoint. That's next week on AI and You. Until then, remember, no matter how much computers learn how to do, it's how we come together as humans that matters. That's all for this episode of AI and You. Please leave a rating and comment and share with your friends. Get the book Artificial Intelligence and You and see more videos and articles at AIandYou.net. That's A-I-A-N-D-Y-O-U.net, where you can also send us your questions. Thank you for listening. 